Welcome back to the latest installment of Kansas City's Northeast Newscast. I'm your host, Paul Thompson, and this week I sat down with Chris Wade, the co-founder of the Justice Project of Kansas City, an organization committed to curbing human trafficking. I spoke with Wade about her experiences working in the Northeast, the great needs of victims of human trafficking, how traffickers recruit their victims, the effect that poverty has on the cottage industry of human trafficking, Wade's thoughts about the KCPD's decision to install social workers at all patrol divisions, and finally, what compels her to continue with her important work. Wade didn't mince her words during our enlightening conversation, which begins right now. Thank you for listening. So Paul Thompson sitting here actually at the Northeast News offices right along Chris Wade. She's the executive director of Justice Project KC. Uh, That's an organization that uh, works to kind of raise awareness and combat human trafficking, but perhaps I should just let you describe that. Well, we we do a lot more than just that, but... um we work with women and girls and also the transgender women, and we try to help them get foundational services um, if they need treatment, if they need medical care, um, case management. We work a lot with our community partners because we're a small organization, so we depend a lot on uh, collaboration with a number of other agencies around the city uh, just to help people try to get off the streets and improve the quality of their lives and recover from uh, the things that they've experienced out here. And because about 85% of the uh, women that we work with, and we have a core group of about 60 that we work with on a regular basis, um, that we're involved in some kind of definitive plan with. Um, and then we have uh, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens more out in the streets that we work with strictly in the street. So um, we just basically um, try to let them know that they're not forgotten, that someone is here, and that uh, we're the guides to the way out of the streets. And we're a, we're a survivor-operated uh, organization, even though we've been to college and we have letters behind our names and things now. Mm-hmm. Um, both myself and my peer specialist are survivors of a, of a number of crimes against women, including uh, sexual exploitation. Wow. And... You, that, that was a lot to take in right there, I'm sure, for everybody. But I guess I would just go back to some of the work you're doing in the Northeast. Can you talk about maybe some of the organizations that you work with that kind of help realize this yeah, vision? Yeah, I mean, you, pretty much most of the service organizations around the city, um, you know, we sit on a number of coalitions, uh, the Coalition Against Human Trafficking down at the Department of Justice at the federal courthouse. We're longstanding members of that. Um, and on that coalition or other helping organizations, uh, we partner with Restart, uh, most of the shelters, uh, the domestic violence uh, organizations, uh, MOXA. Um, we have partnerships uh, at most of the hospitals in town. Um, really, just, you know, uh, Kansas City is a pretty collaborative town sure. uh, for social services. Uh, everybody knows that it's a pretty big job and... And uh, because we have no housing of our own, for example, we don't have a drug treatment place of our own, uh, we have to depend on our community partners like Rediscover or uh, Amani House. Do you have any collaboration with uh, Sheffield Place or Healing House? Yeah, we've had lots of women in Sheffield Place. Um, We really haven't placed anybody in Healing House for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that it wouldn't be a good idea for some people, but... Um, for our crowd, um, 
who's pretty far down in the street, sometimes that's not a, a place where they end up having to come up with money fairly soon, within 30 or 60 days. Right. Um, it, that gets really challenging for our crowd. The a focus lot of, on job placement? Yeah, and, and uh, the thing about it is the people that we work with are the ones that most people, they don't want to deal with them anymore. Mm-hmm. They're really the hardcore cases. They're... Um, you know, I mean, it can take us five, six, seven years to get somebody really off the streets, uh, for example, over here in Northeast. Sure. Um, so it's not a quick fix for these people. Um, the trauma levels that they've experienced uh, are generally so deep um, that they don't have a lot of trust. Um, you know, they may be out in the streets and not be able to receive mail properly, or they may be moving from point to point, or mm-hmm. if they're under, if they're using a lot of hard drugs, um, you know, then then you naturally get discombobulated and can't always keep track of what's going on. So we do a lot of system navigation, which means we help teach people the system game. Sure. They know the hustling game. They know the prostitution game. They know the dope game. You know, all of that kind of stuff. So we try to teach them the system game so that they understand various systems, the food stamp system, mm-hmm. the Medicaid system, the housing thing, right. you know, and navigate them through those so that they can learn them themselves and maybe next time they can do some of that on their own. Right. Um, our objective is for people to be as self-sufficient as possible um, depending on their individual circumstances. Some people are very mentally ill um, or they're very disabled. Um, they may not be able to have a job. Right. Those people, we try to find other kinds of, of ways to keep them going. So it's almost like a reorientation into society. Like you, like you might is. provide for a refugee or somebody who's coming in here, and I guess they are sort of refugees of sorts, right? Yeah, they're definitely refugees. There are American refugees that are just out in the streets. Um, yeah, I mean, we basically let them know that we're here. Uh, today, for example, we've been out on St. John and out on Independence Avenue in Prospect, um, giving out gun locks and uh, hygiene kits mm-hmm. and condoms. What kind of reaction or what kind of welcome do you do you usually receive from individuals that you might find in, in Northeast along St. John or Independence Avenue? Are you talking about the people that we're outreaching to? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. They, they, I mean, I've been doing this for... <laughs> 16 years almost, and uh, so they know me. Uh, we know most of the folks that are out here, and because uh, we're out on the, st- you know, all of our work is field work. We don't just sit in an office and wait for people to find us. We right. come out and look for them. They'll never find you if you mm-hmm. sit around waiting for Well, them. I mean, we get referrals from the courts and from the police department and from other service providers. Uh, we partner with Missouri Probation and Parole, for example. Sometimes their POs will send them to have some involvement with us if they mm-hmm. think that it could help out you know we have an edge because we're survivors of a lot of the same things as the constituents that we serve and um so that so sometimes that makes it a little easier for us they know that we've been through these same things themselves so they're usually happy to see us there's not that sort of reaction as you don't know where what i'm going through or where i know and and part of it is that we've been out here for so long doing it i mean the justice project has been we're in our 10th year so just with the Justice Project, we've been out here 10 years with another organization that I used to work for. We were out here even, you know, for five or six years, even seven years before that. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty well known on the streets and my peer specialist as well. Cause she was on the streets for 12 years. So um, how, did, how did you two come together? 
Actually, she used to be a client of mine a mm -hmm. long time ago, hmm. and she came to me uh, as part of her probation, and I could just see something in her that she was really smart, she was really intelligent, uh, she had been to college, and she still had a family. They wouldn't let her live with them because of her addiction was very powerful at the time, mm -hmm. um, but she still had contact with her family, and... Um, there was just something about her. I just felt like she was somebody that was going to be able to get out. And sure enough, she did. And now she's worked for me for 10 years. And how important is it to kind of be able to invoke personal experiences when you go do this outreach to people? I mean, Well, it's, it's important, but it's not absolutely necessary. Um, the thing is that a lot of people come out to the streets, church organizations and different people, and, and that's good. They just have to be very careful. Um, they have to be sure not to make these people feel worse than they already feel about being sure. out here because nobody's happy to be out here. Right. And, um, you know, and, and while spiritual enrichment is a big part of, of what it takes for someone to, to get better and rise up, it's not the only thing. Mm -hmm. And um, we just really believe in a real holistic approach. And um, sometimes people come out here and feel like they can fix people, and uh, that's just not the case. People have to be ready and, and willing to work on themselves. And it's baby steps with, with the uh, crowd that we work with. What sort of hallmarks do you look for the first time you come across an individual that maybe they are ready or they're getting close to ready? Are, are there well, some sort when of somebody signs? flags me down on the street, <laughs> Miss Chris! <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, we just outreach to people that we think, you know, might look like they may need some help. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't stop for every single person. Um, sometimes it, it's not a safe situation, so we don't stop. Sure. I mean, we just don't get out and traipse up and down Independence Avenue. That's not what we do. Right. Um, we try to make it safe for everybody. Um, I think, well... I mean, there isn't any one particular thing that you look for. Mm -hmm. um, you can just tell. I mean, like today, I see a woman walking down St. John with no shoes, period. She has socks, but no shoes. Mm -hmm. You know, and I happen to remember her from a previous time a few years ago and just offered her a hygiene kit and told her to be safe and, you know, inquired about her situation and let her know that, hey, we're here. You know, this is how you reach us if you decide that you want to stay in touch that's great if not we'll look for you when we're out here right and so what are those you mentioned a woman with no shoes what are some other sort of common needs that you come across for every single thing out there? food shelter clothing medication um you name it you name it um i mean we, we have people who don't have a buck 50 to get on the bus sure I mean, a lot of people can't relate to poverty at that level, but that's what we're dealing with out in the streets here, and I think in Missouri it's only going to get worse before it gets better. It's already getting worse. Yeah, and so. I think there's, yeah, you can you can kind of see it when you go right. around. Right. I mean, if, you're, if, if someone's obviously turning dates on the street, then yeah, we're going to whip around and, and talk to her, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, in a moment when it's safe, and, and we don't want to talk to her very long because if she's under pimp control 
and she gets in a car to talk to us for a couple minutes and gets out of that car and doesn't have anything to take back to the pimp, mm -hmm. she's going to get in trouble. Right. And, you know, he's going to eke out some kind of punishment to her because you don't get in a car and then get out without nothing. That mm -hmm. is not the way it works. So we just make it real quick, real easy. If we know them, we might pop out for a minute and say, hey, and give them a hug and, you know, remind them that we're here. This is what we can do to help. And uh, we'll be watching for you. You know, and call us if you ever get the urge. Uh, how does the Northeast area compare to other parts of the city as it relates to uh, some of these concerns? In a lot of ways, it's very equivalent. Um, you know, there's a lot of problems everywhere in the city. Um, you have a large concentration of low-income and poverty-level folks in the Northeast, and so naturally there's going to be the kind of issues that go along with all of that. Mm -hmm. um, we have a really... Uh, you know, up on Truist, we have a lot of the similar issues that we have here. Um, I know Center Patrol powered down on Truist pretty hard here in the last couple of years, so we don't see quite as much uh, obvious prostitution, but we still have a lot of gang activity up there, prostitution, dope, you name it, mm -hmm. same thing. Uh, same up on Prospect, they've got a lot of issues right around 55th and Prospect right now, around Gregory and Prospect. Um, those side streets up there, 35th and Prospect. Mm -hmm. um, they're seeing homicides, uh, a lot of person-on-person -person crime. Kind of the same as, you know, everywhere. Is there an element that when, you know, the police department in doing their jobs, they clamp down on an area and then it kind of, it doesn't really quash the problem, it just kind of disperses it? Yeah, in the it, I think you're exactly right. Um, in, in some respects, it kind of does dis it, it definitely disperses it, and sometimes it'll get better for a little while. Like I've noticed on Outreach Today, and I, I was out a few days ago uh, in the evening, noticed it was pretty quiet around here, mm -hmm. and uh, that tells me that there have been some warrant sweeps or um, you know officers been out in the streets. I know they've been doing their saturation stuff now, and sure. you know, kind of making it more uncomfortable for um, criminal activity to take place in the open anyway. In terms of what maybe the average citizen can do if you're a northeast resident who has an inclination to help that but isn't sure how to get involved or maybe they are scared or worried or don't want to cause harm to these individuals that they come across who yeah. perhaps they're concerned about well, well the first thing i would say is please don't approach anybody on your own if you don't already know them because it may not be safe for you to do that mm -hmm. Um, we're out here all the time and people know us, So, and even then, we're very safety conscious. I mean, that's why I use a phone that has no Wi-Fi, no Bluetooth, no GPS, none of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, my car isn't registered in my name. Um, my mail all goes to a post office box. Even my utilities go to a post office box. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, 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 when you get into dealing with human trafficking and working with women who are... Um, maybe tangled up with really bad guys, uh, you have to be very careful about safety. And, um, you know, you just have to be careful. Have there been times uh, when you've been in the Northeast in particular where you have felt that, that sense of clear and present danger? Um, as far as I'm concerned, danger is always around us everywhere. I don't care if you're out in Olathe, if you're out in Independence, if you're down Lee Summit. Um, it's, it's always around, so I, I've never felt particularly unsafe over here in Northeast. My dad grew up in Northeast. He graduated from Northeast High School. Um, my grandparents used to own a business in Northeast. Um, I had several aunts and uncles that lived <clears throat> on Independence Avenue and, and around the Northeast area for years, so I've always felt very comfortable in Northeast myself. Mm -hmm. And um, 
No, I've, I've never really felt particularly frightened. Um, no. Mm -mm. What about the, the issue of human trafficking more broadly? Do you mm -hmm. think it, it, it gets enough attention from uh, maybe government entities? Well, I uh, think it gets a lot of attention. But, but here's something that people need to understand. And, and the, the, there's not everything, not all kinds of sexual exploitation rises to the level of human trafficking. Now, intellectually or emotionally, we can say that prostitution is always human trafficking, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, that's intellectually. But if you want something to be classified as a human trafficking situation, um, the exploited person, someone has to be being exploited mm -hmm. for someone else's personal gain against their will. Sure. And there has to be either force fraud or coercion involved in that exploitation so whenever now if you're under 18 and you're in a prostitution situation that is considered sexual exploitation of a child and could conceivably rise to the level of human trafficking right off the bat minors can't consent they can't sign contracts mm -hmm. you know they've got to get parental consent or co-signers for things like cars or you know anything like that right um, so under 18, they don't really have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. 18 and over, it has to be proven, and the and and the onus falls on the victim. It can be difficult to prove this, right? unless it's very difficult. And you also have to have a victim that's willing to move forward with a human trafficking prosecution. Right. So and and sometimes those can take a long time. So if they're too terrified or or, exactly. or feel a position not in a position of strength or that they could be roped back in by a handler or something of that nature. Exactly. They might not push forward with prosecution. Right. It, it's very dangerous. And, or they um, won't testify or they're being coerced into right. not testifying. And in a trafficking case, you, you've got to have a victim. Mm -hmm. And um, even the minor victims um, have to need to testify and have to face their traffickers in court. Mm -hmm. And that's really scary for people. Sure. Um, we do have state trafficking laws now and some city ordinances that address it. I think prosecutors um, are, are just learning uh, at, at, at the state and city levels about uh, what they have at their disposal if they suspect trafficking. Mm -hmm. Lots of times what happens is um, there are a lot of different ways. If a person is really a human trafficker, um, mm -hmm. there are a lot of different ways to get them. Sometimes... Uh, they can be charged with domestic violence, or they can be charged with sexual assault or rape. They can be charged with money laundering or income tax evasion or uh, RICO statutes, which is the racketeering statutes, which mm -hmm. implies a conspiracy to commit criminal acts. Right. So lots of times, um, you know, we have to get them on that kind of stuff. They might be riding in a stolen car. Right. You know, so there's all kinds of ways. Sort of the Al Capone thing where you get them for tax <laughs> evasion. Right, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, exactly. You can't always get them on what you want. Um, but I do know that uh, pimps uh, and a lot of the dope boys out here who, you know, they may be um, trafficking women at the street level, mm -hmm. um, they're aware of human trafficking, and they know they don't want to get caught and get a human trafficking charge. Right. Yeah, so, um, you know, Backpage just went down. Um, several other sites similar to Backpage kind of domino effect after that. They mm -hmm. went down. I think some of them just closed voluntarily. They knew what was coming. They didn't want to get charged federally with felonies. Yeah, they don't want to be connected to it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, of course, they are. Right. 
Right. Um, this isn't going to stop anything. What it's going to do is put a kink in the works temporarily. Um, it makes it harder for law enforcement, mm-hmm. you know, because it's going to get harder to find our underage victims sure. that we look for. And lots of times the way we find them is online, especially if they're a missing kid and you right. know, there's a photo out there that we can... You, you know, match the photos right. to the ads or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was wondering if, if maybe somewhere like the Northeast might be particularly vulner- vulnerable to human trafficking because it has such a large uh, refugee and immigrant population. Well, that's always a problem uh, for folks. Um, the um, immigrant and refugee population, uh, they're at high risk mm-hmm. for this kind of stuff because they're a very vulnerable population and they may not know everything that's going on here yet. You mentioned kind of manipulating the, the system or working your way through the system and maneuvering. Right, it it's going to be hard for them. But, you know, most of the trafficking victims that we see in Kansas and Missouri are, are not foreign victims. They are American-born victims. Hmm. And they just usually fall into it be, because... Well, I there's mean, various reasons. I mean, usually, you know, people say, well, they've made that choice. Not really. Normally, especially if you're in a trafficking situation, because if it's a real trafficking situation, the victim is there against their will. They're being, um, you know, either force, fraud, or coercion, or all three of those things are, are being perpetrated on them. And that's a, that could be a real human trafficking situation. They may, this guy may have come to them. The, one of the biggest ways that we see uh, guys recruiting is online mm-hmm. through dating sites, Plenty of Fish, Harmony.com, Christian Singles, KC Singles, you name it. These guys are out there trolling around. Uh, they may come at uh, a woman a, as a date, mm-hmm. as a trick. Um, and then kind of move into boyfriend mode, and that's what they call the Romeo pimps, the real charmers, you know, mm. you know, and and they they won't talk to them anything about prostitution, you know. Oh, let me take you away from all this. I'll take care of you. I'll get Find your somebody nails who's done. got some sort of social problems or economic problems. Right. Or, they look for vulnerabilities. Right. You know, are you poor? Are you homeless? Do you? have family, you know, all of those things, and they'll try to find out as much as possible about the individual right off the bat, because that gives them the information that they need as fuel later, mm-hmm. uh, as leverage against this individual. Like, oh, you took me to your mama's house, now I know where your mama lives. Mm-hmm. You don't do what I say, then maybe I'll just kill your mom. Wow. And um, people end up dead all the time, as you well know, around here. Sure. And... Uh, you know, there are plenty of, of homicides that take place during the course of a prostitution incident. But I really see it as less of a choice than it is a decision that people made because they perceive there is a lack of choices for them at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's true or not, that's their perception at the time. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe you don't have any shoes. Maybe you're homeless. Maybe it's freezing outside and you don't have a coat. You know, and you're like, what in the hell am I going to do? Am I going to stay out here and freeze to death or am I going to try to scrounge up enough money so I can get into a hotel room or pay 10 bucks at the dope house so I can sleep on the kitchen floor tonight? Right, so you know? it's, their decisions aren't made on a, a macro level. It's a, it's a micro level almost all the time, you would imagine. Pretty much. It's a decision for the human Well, and, and, and Missouri is a very punitive state. I mean, it's very hard to be poor in this city, right. even if you're working full-time. I mean, when, when Kansas City, Missouri wanted to raise the minimum wage in a year or two or whenever it was, uh, the legislature found, oh, no, we're not having that. The only mm-hmm. people that can raise the minimum wage is us. Now, if you're an individual business owner and you decide you want to raise everybody's wages in your business, that's great. You can do that. But as far as, as, as a broad of raising of a local minimum wage, 
that's not going to happen here. Right. So people are being held at that level. Um, so they're always one incident away. Well, yeah, one, and a lot of, exactly. And a lot of people don't realize that um, now it used to be that all drug felons um, who had been convicted of a drug offense after post nineties from ninety six on could not receive food stamps. Mm-hmm. Now um, some drug felons can receive food stamps, and I believe that's only if you have a possession case mm-hmm. and even a felony possession case. But most people who get arrested at the felony level with dope usually have enough drugs on them. If they're going to get a felony possession case, the chances are good they're either going to get sales, trafficking, distribution, manufacture, something else. And if you get any of those, then you got a problem. So it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where they can't get out of it. Well, I don't know about that, but um, it makes it harder. I mean, if you go to the penitentiary and serve your time on your drug offense and you get out and you're doing every single thing you're supposed to, but you can't feed yourself, right. what, what, what are you supposed to do? And no one will hire you because of the felony that you're, the type of felony that you're carrying. Or you, may, or you may be a sex offender or some specific type of felony that can only live in certain places, can only work in certain places, right. you know, and certain things are denied to you because of whatever your felony status might be. Um, that makes it really hard for people. You got to be able to eat, mm-hmm. and how the Missouri legislature cannot see feeding yourself as a human right, as opposed to something that you can be denied for the rest of your life while you're carrying a felony conviction that restricts you from other not only foundational services but from housing, from employment. You know, I mean, it's it's getting a little better in that respect, mm-hmm. but we've still got a long ways to go. To me, it always seemed like. Um, the fact that some drug felons could get them and some drug felons couldn't, uh, that doesn't seem like that uh, fulfills the constitutional obligation to have equal treatment under the law no. and due process. That's a really good point. And I guess it kind of speaks to something I wanted to talk to you mm-hmm. about uh, related to the law enforcement side mm-hmm. of things. This year under the new chief of police, Chicks, uh, Rick Smith, mm-hmm. he's in, started installing social workers at all of the mm-hmm. patrol divisions. Mm-hmm. And to me, it struck me as a good idea because it's an opportunity to keep it from getting to the point where you're getting arrested, where you're having convictions, that you're being charged with crimes and spending time in jail, mm-hmm. that you can kind of head it off at the pass a little bit. But I wanted to ask you uh, your opinion about this idea that they're kind of working on to install social workers at all. The I think it's fabulous, and I'm really happy. And uh, Gina English over at Center Patrol, uh, she and I just had a meeting a week or so ago about a lot of stuff that's going on out in the streets and some of these kids that are out here that we're concerned about. I think it's a great idea. It's a step in the right direction. And um, a lot of this probably came out of the no- Casey Nova concept as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, to where you're reaching out to the bad guys, letting them know that they can get services they can get out if they want. If they choose not to, then, you know, PD's going to be coming for them. Right. And all their little friends. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, I think it's a great idea, and uh, we're already partnering uh, with some of those now. Some of them are brand I'm brand new on the job. Right, I think I so. They're just to learning. In the first couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, they're they're getting a trial by fire. Mm-hmm. I think they're still trying to figure their way. Sure. But um, we do a lot of partnering with KCPD and um, on prostitution stings sometimes with the vice squad. And part of the deal is that unless they have a felony warrant or a federal warrant. Um, no, they're not going to get arrested, right? And that they get the opportunity, and and we're with we're we're out on during while this thing's taking place with officers, 
sometimes we're at a separate location, sometimes we're at the location, like if it's a hotel operation mm-hmm. or something, so that we can be there right at the first point of contact and let them know, hey, you know, here's who we are, we've been where you've been, um, we can, these are the kind of things that we can help get going for you, and that we're the guides to the way out. If you want to come on out, we're, we're here to take you. And if you're not ready yet, that's cool. We get it. We're not here to talk anybody out of prostitution. We'll see you soon. But, yeah, I mean, here's our information. Get in touch if you want to. What is it that continues to drive you to proceed in this work? Well, you know, one of, we're a little bit different than a lot of other places, and, and we don't expect other organizations to do like we do. But I really perceived that not only because of the things that had happened to me in my life that I feel compelled to give back, but, you know, I'm just an old hippie anarchist from way back anyway. <laughs> Let's say hippie liberal. There we go. <laughs> I don't want to be, I don't want my federal partners to think I'm an anarchist. Um, <laughs> sure. But, yeah, I'm just joking. Uh, but anyway, um, what drives me is the fact that we realize Sister Donna Ryan, who's a Sister of Mercy, is the co-founder of the Justice Project with mm-hmm. me. And she has worked with this same population for a long time. And we both worked for another organization for a long time that did similar work. And But in 2008, when we left that organization, we hadn't really planned on doing anything. Mm-hmm. But women still kept calling us. Oh, I have to go to court. Or can you help me with my paperwork? Or, you know, do you know how to get to the courthouse in Wyandotte County, you know, just little things. And I'm like, hey, we don't work there anymore. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not there anymore. Right. But they weren't uh, getting help in the same kind of way because those are the kind of things that I did there. So we just kept helping them. <laughs> and then um, one day one of the legal aid attorneys that we have done a lot of partnering with over the years said, you know, you guys need to incorporate, get write some grants, or, you know, you're going to be in the poorhouse yourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. And... Um, that's how we got going. We just started doing the work and begging for money and writing grants, and that's how it, it came about. Right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and coming sure, down my here. my pleasure. Um, I'll go ahead and turn this off for now, but thank you very much. That concludes my conversation with Chris Wade of the Justice Project, Kansas City. To learn more about the organization, visit www.justiceprojectkc.org. The organization can also be reached by phone at 816-769-3307. Until next time, this is your host, Paul Thompson, signing out.